Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. Sweeney Murdy from the Winter Meetings in Las Vegas. Here's a listen to some of the things that were talked about here on Monday. Daily media briefings with the general managers of both the Yankees and the Mets can lead in many directions. Let's start with the Yankees. Brian Cashman continued to throw cold water on the idea that Bryce Harper is any kind of a target for the Yankees, citing a plethora of outfielders and not enough places to play them. I have Judge Stanton, Ellsbury, Gardner... Frazier, Hicks. So. Ellsbury and Frazier healthy enough for you? Yeah, the Ellsbury will be healthy and Frazier will be healthy, yeah. But he, all right, take them out. I've got Hicks in center. i got Stanton that's, that's athletic as hell, but it's forced to DH because Judge isn't right, and i got Gardner in left. So. And first base doesn't interest And we covered this earlier in the wintertime. People mm-hmm. asked if, uh, about the first base stuff, and I'm sure it's potentially a possibility but it's not something that you know we would play on at that level and that type of money to play somebody like that at first base you once had no spot for mark Teixeira. you still squeezed him in no but there's a there was a spot at, you know that was available so because swisher could play first and right so cash just to go back to harper for a second i mean the six guys you mentioned he's an upgrade over some of them um, it, does that mean you still wouldn't have interest or talk to We don't have a finite amount of dollars to be playing with um, in any marketplace. So I think if you want to ask about something that fits more, you know, I, I've always said follow. I try to try to make sure that I you know follow what I say. Uh, we're looking for the starter now. It was two. It's down to one. Uh, we're looking for how do we address the the loss of Didi, um, and we're looking at our rotation. And no time at all, all winter have I said I'm looking for an outfielder. So um, the Harper stuff is, I'm surprised you're still asking. On the other hand, Cashman did acknowledge the team's interest in Manny Machado and the multiple meetings with his agent, Dan Lozano. We've talked to Manny Machado's representative, Danny Lozano. Um, so. While you were here or before? Before I got here. Plan to talk to him this week. I wouldn't forecast, you know, anything, on, you know, in terms of that. But I would say that we—I've had several conversations with Dan Lozano about Manny Machado. Um, so we are—we are definitely uh, focused in the marketplace on those areas of need, and he obviously is is available and solves, you know, that area of need. So I'm not going to deny that we've had a conversation or two. Cashman also said he's been engaged with as many as 11 teams about trading Sonny Gray. And while Jay Happ is still a possibility, Cashman has expressed his interest in Japanese lefty Yusei Kikuchi, who's represented by Scott Boris. Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen weighed in on a number of subjects in his first briefing. Already one big trade under his belt, the Mets are one of the teams that have asked the Marlins about catcher JT Real Muto. Look, I think I think a lot of teams are talking to the Marlins. Um, I think that uh, 
you know, I would anticipate his market picking up while we're down here. Um, and, you know, whether he gets traded, if the, if the Marlins find the right package of players that they're looking for, hard for me to assess what their, what their asking price will ultimately be. But, you know, we'll continue to have discussions with, with all the available catchers. How difficult would it be for you to part with your start, starting shortstop at this point in any kind of package, not necessarily real Muto, but... I think the way I look at any trade is that we want the trade to make us better. We don't want to create a hole that we didn't have by by filling a hole that we that we did have, right? So we want to make sure that if we if we do make moves that we're adding to our strengths and and uh, and filling you know filling the gaps where we where we needed the help, but we're not going to create a hole by by filling another. The Mets dealt from the top of their prospect depth to get the Seattle trade done, so there is some question about whether the Mets have enough on the prospect side to get another big trade done. Big move is relative. I do think we have greater depth in our system than than most most people recognize. I know many of the teams have have called on a lot of our guys and like like a lot of our players. You know, I think we have been resistant to to include players like Peter Alonso and Andres Jimenez into deals at this point. But as I've always said, we'll keep an open mind and be willing to talk about anyone, anytime if it's if it's a way to improve our club dramatically. You've talked about Alonso's timeline a little bit, but but with Jimenez, is he a guy who you can foresee helping you guys in? 2019. I, I hope so. I think from from all of our develop, development guys is that you know he's a premium defender at shortstop. He's a premium base runner. He could impact us at a, at the major league level in both of those area, those areas right now. We'd like to get him some more development time offensively with the bat, but hopefully that can come quickly. Do you have an idea whether he'd start at Binghamton or Syracuse yet? We haven't made those determinations yet. As the starting pitching market thins out, it makes sense the teams would double back to the Mets and get more aggressive in asking about Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler. Some of that is already happening as Patrick Corbin and Nathan Avaldi came off the board. Definitely. I, I think that, you know, as we look at our starting pitching, we have we have high end talent, we have years of years of control for those players, and you know, I think that people are going to be attracted to our talent. And I think that's a good sign. And that's that's true on the on the pitching staff. And it's also true, you know, Mike talked about Rosario and others. But, you know, we have we have position players that uh, that people are attracted to and we have position, you know, pitchers that are as well. Can you see yourself being in a position to make a move like that as maybe teams get a little more desperate for, for a starting pitcher? Yeah, again, I think our goals here and as we go forward in the offseason is to try to identify what we need and what we want and go be aggressive in trying to solve those. Um, we won't necessarily be looking at helping other teams fill their voids unless it helps ours. The managers from every major league team appeared during the week for a 30-minute session with their local and national media. Monday morning, Marlins manager Don Mattingly took his turn. Last winter, the Marlins dismantled, trading off Giancarlo Stanton to the Yankees, Marcelo Zuna to the Cardinals, and Christian Yelich to the Brewers. Now the talk surrounds catcher JT Realmuto, and you heard the Mets GM discuss him a moment ago. Mattingly was asked if he feels that Realmuto has a future with the Marlins and how he's handling all the speculation. Absolutely. Uh, I look at him as part of our club. I think uh, I think everyone's been pretty upfront with what, how we feel about JT publicly, uh, privately, you know, personally with him, he knows how much we like him and what we think about him. He's handling everything fine. Uh, JT's a tough kid. Uh, he's, he's a big-time leader. It's why we love him. It's why everybody, why a lot of teams, you know, love him. They they, they hear the news and or, or the narrative about him, and it's all true. Uh, this is a tough kid that's not really bothered by anything. He just comes to play. Um, and so I think he's, he's doing fine with everything. 
Mattingly accompanied Real Muto on the Major League All-Star Tour of Japan after the season, and with trade speculation kicking into high gear during that time, Mattingly was asked if he took the time to speak to Real Muto about all the rumors. No, I was playing baseball. I mean, again, I think JT, JT knows how we feel about him. Uh, and JT's been pretty upfront the way he feels about things. Um, so there's no reason to get into huge conversations about it. Um, and so it was pretty much just enjoying the trip. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. It was, a, it was one of those trips that you're going, you're, you're having fun playing. Uh, it's a great experience for everyone, a lot of families, kids, uh, things like that. So it was really more of a, almost like an ambassador type trip, and it's a lot of fun. Real Muto is a player that Mattingly has spoken very highly of during his time with the Marlins. For his skills behind the plate, at the plate, and in the clubhouse, he's a player that is clearly one of Mattingly's favorites. I asked Mattingly if Real Muto reminded him of anyone, and he made an interesting comparison. You know, if you talk about him in terms of a lot of, a lot of guys, he's, he's a quiet guy. He's not real loud. Uh, he just plays. Um, he's really tough. He's a kid that just, like, just you just trust him with in any situation um you know i he's probably more like jeet than anybody i've 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 seen because he's quiet and he just goes about his business he keeps put doing his job nothing seems to bother him with what's going on outside of of he's not really worried about what anybody's saying he's not worrying about the situation he's just playing and it's, it's pretty easy for him to, to go do that. Of course, on Sunday, the newest members of the Hall of Fame were announced, Harold Baines and Lee Smith. Mattingly competed against both players and was asked about their election, as well as his own lingering candidacy as a potential future Hall of Famer. I don't look at myself too often in that. Just happy for Harold and Lee. Uh, I played with Lee just a brief time in New York and watched Harold over the years as a great hitter. And happy for those guys. Uh, don't worry much about myself in the whole situation because, you know, quite honestly, the Hall of Fame comes. You, if you get in, okay, you write HOF on a ball, and after that, it's like your life's going to be the same. You're not really changing. Who you are is who you are. Uh, I look at you know, myself honestly more as like I want to be a good dad, and uh, I want to be a I want to be a good teacher. I want to be a good good coach. I want to be a good manager. Whatever that is. Uh, and that's not going to change because of you putting HOF on a ball. So honestly, once it's all said and done, you've played all your cards, you live your life, and, and you really want to be happy with that. Asked again very pointedly if he thinks of himself as a Hall of Fame player, Mattingly shows he's humble enough to brush off the topic while at the same time being able to make others understand what many knew was true in the 1980s, that there was a point in time that Don Mattingly was one of the best players in the game hands down. Uh, I think of myself when you see like like Harold. You know, I think he played 22 years or something like that, and you end up with a pile of numbers that that grow and grow. You know, I think Harold had 2,800 hits. I get 21 something. I do it in 13 years or whatever, 12 years, less than 13. I just didn't play long enough. wasn't able to stay healthy long enough to really put that pile of numbers together. So there was a period of time that I could hit with anybody and and do things on the field you know, at my position and with the bat that, you know, nobody else was doing. 
While Mattingly may or may not get his day in Cooperstown one day, the celebration started for both Harold Baines and Lee Smith. The 16-person committee that elected those two on the Today's Game era ballot included Hall of Fame Yankees manager Joe Torre. I caught up with Torre to ask him about the newest Hall of Famers and what electing these two players in particular might mean for future elections. Can you appreciate, based off of your playing career, which was close to Hall of Fame as a playing career, when you see guys like this who kind of had to wait and wait and what it means to them? Yeah, you know, I think I think you slip through the cracks like a, a guy like Lee Smith. You know, he just slipped through the cracks. I mean, you, it's hard to not have the number of saves that he had uh, not jump off the page. I mean, it, you can make all kinds of, you know, comments about one thing or another. He didn't pitch inside, he didn't do this, he did do that. You know, a bad postseason, but it's tough to ignore that statistic. Um, and as far as Harold Baines, you know, I've been asked some questions, questioning, you know, you know, why he had less than 10% of the vote when he was on the on the ballot. Why now? I, again, it's first off, you know, if if we didn't have two work stoppages during the time that he was playing. He would have had 3,000 hits. In his sleep, he would have had 3,000 hits. And then, you know, I, I was always one that the most important statistic to me, and unfortunately nobody really cares much about it anymore, is the RBI. Uh, and, you know, 1,600-plus. That, that means he, you didn't want to face him for the last out of the game. And, uh, and then there are certain things that people bring to the table that don't show up on the paper. It seems like the closer and the DH are two positions that tend to get slighted sometimes because they, they're not considered full-time positions. But you just saw a closer and a DH is going to do the Hall of Fame and maybe another one in another, another couple of months. Uh, That's right. Are, two are they, of them. Yeah. Two closers and two, two DHs. Yeah, do you That's think good. they're starting to show like what an impact they really do have on the game? Yeah, I, I think we have to look beyond just the fact that DH, he doesn't play a position, you know, it's not a complete player. Uh, you know, then you have to get by it. I mean, the DH is there, it's a position, and you have to respect that it's a position. You shouldn't, you know, have anybody be handicapped by the fact that uh, they only pitch one inning or two innings and, and they only, you know, had to pick up a bat, they didn't have a glove. But uh, just the fact, the impact they made on their team, and as I say, Harold Baines, and I'm a National Leaguer, you know, I didn't get to the American League until I came with the Yankees. But uh, Harold Baines, you talk about consistency uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he was such a good clutch player. I mean, as a former player myself, you, you know, when I got an important hit, uh, I could have gone 0 for 13. But if I got that one hit that helped us win a ball game, it meant so much. And I knew how much pressure was involved. I'm sure Tony LaRusso had plenty of nice things to say about Baines, having managed him a couple of times and being in a position where he could he could put him into the hall, help put him into the Hall of Fame. When this committee meets again, and Bernie Williams might be eligible for that, can you see yourself making the same kinds of arguments? Yeah, because there's a lot of things that Bernie Williams ha- did as a player that really doesn't show up. In, in statistics, uh, you know that I, I put, you know, I guess for a guy who, as a player, never got to postseason, uh, and you know, and even managing got to postseason in '82, 
uh, I put so much more value on, on on what players do in the postseason. And I, you know, I look at Andy Pettit. I look at uh, Jorge Posada. Uh, you know, postseason pressure is enormous, and to have these guys, well, being in New York is an, is enough pressure, but to do it postseason, uh, especially when the expectations are so high, uh, it's impressing me. That's it for now. Back with more from the winter meetings in Las Vegas soon. I'm Sweeney Murdy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.